Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Nikki Cochran. Nikki works for Alley Cat Rescue that proudly adopts out feline leukemia and FIV positive cats. They believe with proper care and vaccines, these cats are able to coexist with other cats and live long, healthy lives. She's currently the program manager. She's also held positions as an animal control officer in Washington, D.C., and been the program manager for an open intake shelter. Nikki, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much. So it's really a pleasure to have you here today talking with us about feline leukemia and FIV-positive cats, which many of you know that are near and dear to my heart. And we've had quite a few shows on this topic, but I like to continue talking about this because it is so, so very important for us. But Nikki, I'm hoping you might be able to share with us today, how did you get so passionate about cats and especially feline leukemia and FIV-positive cats? Well, I am sure that I am similar to many of your listeners in that I have been a lifelong animal lover since I was very small. I actually moved to the D.C. area to become a park ranger, and when that position ended, I applied to become an animal control officer. I had always wanted to do it. It was definitely an unfulfilled passion. I was lucky enough to get hired, and from there, it's just really taken off. That's when I began to fall in love with feral cats. The district has an amazing uh, community cat program. I was very lucky to work for them and and really learn from one of the best people in the field, um, Danielle Bays, um, who now works for the Humane Society of the United States. And that has just really taken off now getting to work for a TNR-focused cat rescue. That's great. Yeah, Danielle has been a guest on our show. So for folks who want to find out more about Danielle and her work, you can always go to the communitycatspodcast.com and put Danielle in the search bar and um, her show will come right up. It does seem that the Washington area is full of a lot of community cat advocates, some phenomenal work going on for cats. But specifically, it's interesting coming from an animal control officer background, as well as working in open intake. At that point in time, I mean, how did feline leukemia, positive kitties, play a role in your world, like as an animal control officer and in the open intake shelter, did feline leukemia positive kitties have any sort of chance in that in that scenario? It was definitely an sort of interesting and definitely an exciting time for me to be working there because they had team of vets, one of which now is the manager at Treehouse. And, and then another one, Megan McAndrew, who now works uh, for a rescue in North Carolina. And um, these women were just so pivotal in really conducting their own studies, following the medical knowledge that was coming out about FIV and feline leukemia positive cats. And they were, as I was working there, changing the protocols for the DC Humane Society. So it was interesting to work with these women who really were challenging what we thought about how they could coexist versus 
nurses still dealing with people that worked in the in the shelter and dealing with adopters that still held um, the belief that they couldn't coexist. So I was sort of caught in the middle of all of this and uh, the older animal control officers sort of in the middle of everything, hearing it from all sides and all perspectives. And I really was lucky enough to have these women that I could look up to and learn about what they were learning about. And they were they were showing me the way on uh, challenging the myths and proving proving the myths wrong on coexisting with uh, feline leukemia and FIV positive cats. So let's talk about some of those myths. Maybe we should call this the myth busting show today. <laughs> so myth, myth number one is feline leukemia is extremely contagious. <laughs> so the, again, my knowledge comes from these amazing women and the studies that I've read myself, you, it is obviously possible to transfer from cat to cat, but really the cats, um, aside from sharing bowls and touching noses, it's not like just passing through the room with a carrier with a cat. Are they going to catch it? And then we also have numerous, numerous studies, anecdotes of people vaccinating their cats properly and then allowing them to coexist. And I have found this to be true in my own household. I, I also own a feline leukemia positive cat and I have another cat that's my, you know, constant cat. And then I always have fosters roaming in and out and I have vaccinated every single time and every single time after coexisting will combo test again and they always test negative. So I really feel with the proper vaccination protocols, there is no transfer of the disease among the cats. Now, is there a specific vaccination protocol that you're referencing? Is there a uh, place or anywhere we can find that specific vaccination protocol, or do you want to share with it us right now? I can definitely give you the articles that my vet has sent me that we use. Um, but as long we use, we like to use the PureVax vaccine for feline leukemia. It is a little pricier, but you see less reactions, especially in kittens. So we'll vaccinate the first dose, and then two weeks later, the cats get a second dose, and then the cats are introduced. So that's the protocol that we follow for the vaccine. It's fantastic. Great news. I think it's just a phenomenal news. I, I remember in the days with FIV positive cats, and we'll, we can touch upon that quickly. We, in the shelter that I ran, we integrated our FIV positive kitties with our negative kitties back in 2003. And at that point in time, that was even a challenge to convince our veterinarians that that was an okay idea. Just for those of us who might still feel that it's not appropriate to have FIV cats in with your negative cats, why is it okay to mix and match with the FIVs too? Yeah, I mean, FIV is... I try to explain it in terms of think about the things you learned about HIV with humans. It's almost exactly the same form of transmission. So as long as they're spayed and neutered, the transmission rate goes down to essentially zero. As, not, as long as they're not fighting aggressively enough to draw blood and have that blood transfer, there, there's no vaccine needed. I also had a phosphus FIV cat. And again, the transmission rate is zero for those guys. So it's even better success. And we can talk about this later, but you know, the one of the, the veterinary associations has finally come out in support of mixing and matching. And that has really, I think, turned the tide. So the the stigma for FIV is really going, going away, which is great. But I'm glad that today we're focusing more on the feline leukemia stigma because that we're still battling that. Yes, we are. And the, the thing that I'm running into a lot when I talk with organizations that get FIV, um, feline leukemia, sorry, 
positive or the Felux. Some people, some, some organization called them Felvi. Some call them Felux. <laughs> so we all have our little nicknames for, for our feline leukemia positive kitties. But some organizations will also say that it's great that you do it, but we can't. Do you know of any organizations or anything to, that we can say to those organizations and say, hey, you know, it's better for you to do it yourself than to have us do it? I really feel like there's this major bridge that we need to cross where everybody can believe that this is something they should be doing it internally in their own organizations. I know it's such, it's such a struggle. Um, and I do think that once the veterinary recommendations come down, you do see these bigger groups like best friends, the SPCA. Once those groups change their protocol, you do see a lot of the smaller groups taking note. That's why I was really happy when the Humane Rescue Alliance, now as they're called in DC, they changed their protocols about FIV. And I think that that causes a ripple effect when you have these larger groups. So it would be nice then to see even those those groups maybe holding workshops or educational seminars about it and not just inviting the public, but having them with the other rescues or shelters in the area. Um, I think that that could cause a lot of change if you have those bigger groups making, making that stance. The larger organizations in Massachusetts are very active in adopting out feline leukemia positive cats. Oh, that's wonderful. And um, so the MSPCA, and Dakin Humane Society, both of them adopt out feline leukemia positive kitties all of the time without any real challenges, uh, to be honest, because the population numbers are so down <laughs> that they're adopting out pretty much, you know, anything that comes through the door. So it, because our numbers have gone down, the intake numbers have gone down so much, it's given the feline leukemia positive cats an, another chance. The other thing that's happening, too, is quite a few organizations are not combo testing anymore, mm. and they're only testing for feline leukemia. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that idea? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, absolutely. That was another protocol that was questioned and changed while I was at the DC Humane Society, and then I brought it with me to Alley Cat Rescue. We do we offer the combo test for cats under six months, but we do not combo test until they're six months. If they get adopted before then, we always offer them to bring the cats back at six months. Um, and again, if they are still uncomfortable before their six months, we will combo test. But I think that the biggest thing to know is that the education aspect of it, just because you're getting the combo test, you're seeing something very simple um, on a you know little plastic block. That doesn't mean death sentence. That means, okay, now I have to go and educate myself about what that combo test result is. And then we've had, we had um, a litter of kittens test positive for FIV and um, they were, you know, two months old and through a blood result test, or there a, you know, where you actually have to send off to the laboratory, it came back negative. That was a study that our vet had conducted at Humane Rescue Alliance and found that you have numerous, up to 40% false positives with FIV in kittens. So as long as they're asymptomatic, they look healthy, they seem healthy, it's really not necessary until they're six months old so that you can get that accurate result rather than a false positive. Celebrating the welfare of all cats. The International Cat Association is the world's largest genetic registry of pedigreed cats and the number one registry for non-pedigreed cats and kittens known as household pets. Whether you adopt or shop, the International Cat Association is the one-stop shop for all cat lovers. 
The International Cat Association is more than 6,000 members in 104 different countries who all speak the language of cat lover by helping make an impact on the health and welfare of all cats. Members serve to educate and foster responsible spay-neuter awareness in local communities and are active volunteers at local animal shelters and outreach programs for schools and or senior and disabled citizens. The International Cat Association members also take active roles in numerous citizen advisory groups to foster responsible legislation regarding the health and welfare of cats. To learn more about the International Cat Association, go to www.tica.org. Do you struggle with self-care and taking time for yourself? Recharge and reconnect with your passion at the Rescue Me Retreat, a four-day, three-night getaway for animal caregivers, volunteers, and activists that focuses on managing compassion fatigue and burnout. During the retreat, you'll be surrounded by a small group of people that share your passion for helping animals. You'll be given a safe space to talk about some of the struggles that are inherent in animal welfare work, plus the opportunity to slow down, relax, and have fun. The Rescue Me Retreat will be held from June 29th through July 2nd on beautiful Lake Michigan and includes healthy meals, nature hikes, massage, group activities, and discussions, one-on-one -on -one sessions with compassion fatigue therapist Jennifer Blau, access to the beach and water activities, yoga, and more. Learn more at thecompassionfatiguepodcast.com slash rescue-me-retreat and get $100 off if you register before April 1st. You spend so much time taking care of others. You deserve this. Over the years, when we've tested for feline leukemia, there's been this, the combo test, you know, light, false, po light positive, or like, you know, all the dots and whether the dots are, and then there's an IFA test that you can also do for further confirmation. And then you've got one that says negative and the other one says positive. And that gets really to be a fancy dance. Testing in general is really only testing that moment in time, what might be going on in that. So then it's just so hard to have a full diagnosis based on some, some testing that could be quite variable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, the, I know that there are still shelters out there. I'm from I'm from the south myself. That the minute they get that that test result, FIV or feline leukemia, they will instantly put down the cat, the kittens, um, assuming that they're not going to be able to live to adulthood or they're going to be you know difficult to adopt out. They get the label put on them, even if they are healthy, and they're willing to put them on the adoption floor so it can lengthen their time in the shelter, which is then exposure to all the bugs and germs, and they have this negative label that might not even be deserved. And as we're seeing with both FIV and feline leukemia cats, you have FIV can live, we're finding more often than not, a full healthy life as long as they have proper care. And feline leukemia cats, you have 30% of them living a long, healthy, normal life. So the label, even, even if they have it, doesn't, again, mean that, that death sentence. Right. Right. And so when we're looking at these cats, we're looking at more of their quality of life as we would with any cat. I mean, when we run our MASH style TNR clinics, we don't even have combo tests on site. We make euthanasia decisions based upon what we're seeing going on with the cat at that particular immediate time. So a blood test is not going to determine what our outcome is there. So we never, ever offered any sort of testing of community cats. And, you know, 
I get this question still about, well, you need to present, prevent disease and that kind of stuff. And I mean, you and I both were preaching to each other, which is preaching to the choir, which is basically saying, you know, sterilization is the best way to prevent the spread of disease. And, you know, you're throwing your money in the trash if you're going to spend it on testing. But how would you, as an animal, former animal control officer, how would you talk to the public about the understanding that where that the how to uh, understand that disease is managed in a different way than just testing yeah it's it's definitely difficult I always love to have a colony caretaker that's very active. I try to, as an animal control officer, and even now, I try to form a bond and relationship with the feeder. I think that is going to be the best way to make sure that these cats live the long, healthy life they deserve. So if they, again, like you said, it's a snapshot in time. Even if they test positive, if their quality of life is good, why why put them to sleep? So forego the testing. That test, the, like you said, the cost of the test is the cost of a spay or a neuter. So much more important to get another cat spayed or neutered versus throwing it away on a test. So you form that relationship with the colony caretaker and you say, look, you know, we're not going to combo test these guys because um, after spay and neuter, their chance of contracting, contacting it goes down. And also, even if they do have it, eventually you might see some symptoms. And when you do see those symptoms, we're here for you. We're that resource. We'll come back. We'll, we'll help you retrap the cat. We can look at what we may need to do to improve their quality of life or if it's an end of life decision. But if that cat is happy, healthy, thriving, there's no reason to not be able to put it back out now that you've spayed and neutered it, because again, not going to spread the the disease and the cat is most likely going to live a much better life. And I, I haven't run into the scenario too many times, but very, very early on in my career, there was a scenario where we had some cats that were tested positive for feline leukemia and they were community cats. They should be returned and they were returned, even though we knew that at that particular moment, they had tested positive for feline leukemia, but they were healthy they had been spayed or neutered. They were ear-tipped. They were happy to go home. And I will tell you, it was a very interesting challenge to convince others that that was the right thing to do. And this was back in the early 2000s. So it's very interesting to try and change the, the mindset of going back to, you know, when we're spaying and neutering these cats, we're just borrowing them for a snippet of time <laughs> to just keep them from having kittens, which kittens are one of the major components of, of trauma out there. As, as I've made presentations out to, you know, public officials, I say the one thing we want to prevent are all the smushed kittens on the road. And that's what you see when you have a lot of cat overpopulation. You see a lot of hit by car, kittens, cats, that kind of thing. So, and we want to have a healthier, more vibrant cat community. But I do think that people do not understand that concept of, you know, in a situation where you may have had to do some testing with knowledge, you are still releasing those cats back out there. But I believe it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I, it's interesting you even point that out. Um, I just had a someone call me from South Carolina, and she had a colony that they were slowly working their way TNRing. And I think that maybe one of the cats was sick enough to combo test, and it did test positive for feline leukemia. So they've, I think they spayed and neutered seventy percent of the colony. Half have tested positive for feline leukemia, half have not. 
And of the half that had, they only had to put one one to sleep. And I think that, you know, that, that the half that was positive, there's maybe five or six cats. She said the other five or six, they're, you know, seven or eight years old. This isn't a young colony. And she said, they're fine. They're completely healthy. So she called me just to, to find out, you know, she feels uncomfortable doing it because she didn't know that it was a thing, but she was, she's willing to put them back out. And she wanted to find out my opinion. Is this okay to put these cats back outside? And I said, well, if they're healthy and thriving and, you know, clearly, obviously not even hundred percent of your colony has it. It's not, you know, spreading like wildfire. Then I would say, yeah, put them back out. And so that's what she, she ended up doing. Well, my understanding is that some cats do have a natural immunity to feline leukemia too. It's 60%, 60, 65%. And then the vaccine gives you another certain percentage of a booster. I don't believe it reaches a full hundred percent, but you would know more than I do maybe on that. That's that's exactly what I've read as well. Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't think many people understand that, that there's a large population of cats out there that are naturally immune to feline leukemia. And so, and you know, I'm not a veterinarian. I will go on the docket, say, you know, I, I, or I'm not well specifically versed in this, but yet I have heard that repeated over and over again from multiple sources that it's 60, 65% of cats are naturally immune to feline leukemia. So you are not doing, you know, it's not like this rampant plague or something that that's happening out there. We, interestingly enough, back in the late 90s, had a rabies quarantine situation where we had to quarantine 30 cats for six months due to exposure, and half of them were feline leukemia positive and the other half were not. So we had 15 in one room in our shelter, 15 in foster care, um, in, a, in basically a renovated shelter space. We fostered them all for the six months and they were ended up being socialized. They were all very young. So they ended up being socialized and we adopted them all out. And that was one of the reasons why we crossed the bridge into really committing ourselves to adopting out feline leukemia positive cats from a very, very early, early time in the days of running the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. These cats were loved. They had a great caregiver and because of a rabies situation, they ended up having to, you know, come into this quarantine situation for six months and we wanted to make sure it was a happy ending for everybody. That's so incredible. So for those of you out there listening to the Community Cats podcast and you have feline leukemia success stories, we would love to hear about the success stories out there and to convince others that it's really important to give these feline leukemia positive cats a chance, uh, quality of life. One thing I also always hear in my myth busting for today is, oh, well, the kittens are going to just die really young. And so you don't want to get emotionally attached because they're going to just die really, really young. How do you handle a feline leukemia positive kitten adoption? Do you handle it any differently than an adult cat adoption? I I do think that you have to handle it differently um, because there is the chance, obviously, that this cat might end up having health issues and you want to make the adopter fully aware as as you would with any, any condition a cat might come with. But I think that, like you said, they're you know, there's a chance that even if they're testing positive, it could go away at the six month mark. And with my cat, I think she's one of the 30% that even though she does have it, she's asymptomatic, you know, have that conversation with the adopter. And I know that every rescue and shelter is going to have different set of resources, but we, we offer a forever foster program where, you know, if the cat does develop a, a medical condition later on, you be that resource, but definitely making them aware that there is a chance, but there's also a chance that this cat will lead a normal, healthy life. 
So we call it Care for Life program, and we've done that also since the beginning of time. And I will say that in our experience, only about 30% of the people who are part of the program actually utilize the support. They like knowing that it's there. It's like a little insurance policy, but not everybody uses it. So if people think, oh, my my budget's going to blow up if I do something like this. It's, it's so much more inexpensive than carrying those cats in your shelter facility. It saves you a lot of money. And your experiences may be different than mine, but when a feline leukemia positive cat's kitty's time comes, it's usually pretty quick and it's usually not that expensive. So we also do have done care for life for thyroid kitties, you know, renal failure, heart issues, diabetic. I mean, the heart issues going in for the ultrasounds every six months. I mean, that's like, you know, very expensive. Obviously, stomatitis, teeth issues, that's another big expense. So in the whole scheme of things, it's not that huge of an expense if you're going to look at it from a cost benefit analysis, which I know we're saying we're not business people, but we are. Yeah, we, ha- we have to be because that way, the more money that we're able to spend wisely, we can help more cats. So if we are passionate about this, that's the best way to do it. So if folks are interested in finding out more about the work specifically that you're doing, Nikki, how would they reach out and find you? So we have a really wonderful website. It's uh, called saveacat.org and they can go on there and, and check us out. My email is acr at saveacat.org they're more than welcome to reach out to me. We uh, have a lot of different resources available online. We're not just, you know, locally based here in the DC area. We try to, uh, you know, offer resources for everyone living everywhere. Nikki, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I am just really happy that I'm sure there's plenty of people listening into this and hopefully that maybe whoever is listening into this, they can go on and, and spread the message. The more educated cat people we have out there, I think the confidence grows and then they can share that knowledge with other people that care about cats, but maybe, you know, just haven't had this wealth of knowledge at their fingertips. So I hope your listeners continue to spread your message and I'm glad they're listening in today. And I would ask all of our listeners, the next time you come across a feline leukemia positive kitty, please give that kitty a chance and adopt it out. So I put that challenge out there to everybody. And if everybody does does it once, you've done it, you'll do it for life. It's like doing your first pediatric spay and neuter. My understanding is when you talk a vet into doing that the first time, they're like, oh, it's so easy. And we're like, you're right. And so doing an early age spay neuter, it's just like also just get doing that first feline leukemia positive adoption. Once you do it, you'll feel so great and you'll just keep on doing it. So I encourage everybody to to jump on the bandwagon for that. Nikki, again, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thanks so much, Stacey. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 